Field Notes brand, USA-made memo books and other products, including seasonal limited editions. Visit fieldnotesbrands.com or 400 North May in Chicago. It is the Dynasty Podcast Panelcast Series, featuring industry panels recorded live throughout the city of Chicago. My name is Haima Black. I host this podcast at dynastypodcast.com. This week, Cultivating Your Creative Culture, hosted at Public Hotels and featuring Floyd Davis from Arpentry, Ricky Serrano from Them Flavors, Jesse Valenciana from ManBQ, and David Beltran from Field Trip. Here's how that sounds. All right, cool. Um, so let's get started. Thank you, everybody who came out tonight. I know that the weather was kind of not the best, inconsistent, but I appreciate everybody coming out and being part of this panel with us in this really plush, awesome room tonight. Welcome to the Cultivating Your Creative Culture live industry panel here at the Public Hotel. My name is Haima Black. I host Dynasty Podcasts at dynastypodcast.com. We were the first ever and longest running music podcast in Chicago history. Um, I'm here tonight with four people who are far more interesting than I am. Uh, we have four really fantastic expert creative industry panelists. Floyd Davis with Arpentry, Jesse Valencia, um, Valenciana, I apologize, of ManBQ, um, Ricky Serrano of Them Flavors, and David Beltran, aka Starfox from Field Trip. Uh, how are you guys doing tonight? Fantastic. Fantastic. Great. Yeah, thank you guys for being out here. I gave you guys really rudimentary introductions right now because I wanted to have you guys speak about yourselves at greater length because I know you guys will do a better job of it than I do. But, um, you know, let's, let's expand a little bit, talk about who you guys are, how you got started in the creative fields, what you do, what your companies are. Just give us some, some basic background. <laughs> Floyd just shook his head. Take it, man. Take All it. of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hello. I'm Floyd A. Davis IV. Um, I own a brand called Arpentry, which is essentially a, it's a, it's a lifestyle brand, but it's also a, a moniker. It's a, it's a different name for myself as an artist, and it's a, a way that I help um, launch creative careers for friends that I care about. Um, I do a lot, with, um, a lot with space design. I do fine art. Um, essentially, right now, I have a, a, like a 7,000-square-foot studio space and gallery space in Pilsen, where um, I hang out with all my best friends who work with me, and we make a bunch of cool stuff. And uh, that's pretty much that. I got started because I've, I've just always been an artist. Like, it's, it's, um, I, I've, it's just the only thing I've ever done. If I was in a class, I was making art instead of paying attention, and that's just always what it's been. So it's kind of turned into this 34-year-old version of myself doing exactly what I was doing when I was 10, and it's awesome. This is you doodling in class as an adult. Exactly. I literally, like, I'm literally and figuratively doodling in class at all times of life. All Love of it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, my name is Jesse Valenciana. I, um, I'm the godfather of uh, <laughs> a little organization called ManBQ. Uh, it started off as a grilling club. The real truth is my girlfriend was out of town uh, at the time, and I just wanted all my friends that were kind of having kids and moving out to the burbs to join me for some beer and, and grilling on my rooftop in Logan Square, going on 10 years now. Uh, so we decided to hang out, do this, and at two in the morning, when everything 
really makes sense and all the best ideas are formulated, we decided to keep this going once a month. All the guys meet up and we bring more food, more beer. And uh, it kind of grew from frozen patties and really crappy beer to like really nice craft beer and really great food. And last year I put out my first uh, cookbook. We just signed a contract for our, our second cookbook. So this kind of hobby that included meat, beer, rock and roll has turned into almost a second job. I work at a brewery, as that's my, my nine to five, but uh, my passion really lies in food and music uh, and beer. So this kind of, you know, a few years ago when I, when I kind of really want to pursue this, I, I used to work for a big pharmacy that was born in Chicago. Uh, I was on the corporate end and I realized that I was going nowhere because I had no family members in upper management. So I left that company and decided to really pursue Mambic and this kind of happened. You know, we've been on the Today Show, we've done a bunch of awesome press stuff and that kind of snowballed into getting us a uh, book, two books. Um, we've, we've talked to producers about doing a TV show. So it was just like nerdy, nerdy shit that I was doing that I didn't think anybody cared, but apparently a bunch of other guys want to have heart attacks and <laughs> get drunk. So, uh, so yeah. When you sell it like that, it's really glamorous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Die drunk. Yeah. <laughs> Alone and penniless, but happy. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's Mambicue. Sweet. Uh, Ricky. My name is Ricky Serrano. I run with my friends Them Flavors, which is a music identity in Chicago focused on revitalizing certain aspects which we find need improvement. And we're also, in specific terms of what we do, uh, we're a record label and we throw events around Chicago. We have been around for about a year and a half now, but we've all been in the scene for well over five or six years now. And that's about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And young Star Fox. <laughs> and my name is David Beltran. Basically, everything Ricky said is exactly what I do. <laughs> but it's called Field Trip. <laughs> uh, funny thing, though, me and Ricky actually know each other from like years ago. We both used to throw parties and whatnot. And we met at like, I think a random house party like six or seven years ago. It was, um, it was October 21st, 2008. Yep, and there was no field trip, there was no them flavors then. And it was just house parties. Yeah, now here we are now, talking. Can I just say you guys met at a house party on my birthday, and even though I didn't know either of you at that the time? That wasn't the actual, I don't even know what the okay. date was. I'm so impressed to remember the house party. <laughs> yeah, like I was going to say, like, if you knew the date, I was going to be like, that's my birthday, and you could have invited me yeah. out to this house party. <laughs> um, Awesome, man. So Jesse and I have known each other a long time, too. Yeah. Yeah. We've um, kind of got like a whole well, like double date thing going on here. <laughs> it, seriously, though. And we're taller. <laughs> What's up? Yeah. It's cool. And hairier. We're going to make this like a big brother type team competition. Um, <laughs> so, I, I mean, you guys kind of touched on this and what you're saying, but how did you guys each realize that you wanted to work for yourself? Because all of you guys, I mean, let's, let's start with this. Would you consider yourselves entrepreneurs? I'm just impossible to work with. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I, but that's a I, lot I mean, of entrepreneurs. Yeah. No, I, I, I can't have a boss. I think that word gets thrown around like just too, too much nowadays. Like anybody that's like, 
oh, I farted. I should maybe hey, make Nancy. money off this fart. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an entrepreneur. Like, it's a fart up. I, I feel like if, I mean, I think everybody, it seems like here, has kind of a plan and a goal. I, I think that makes you more of an entrepreneur than someone that's just kind of like, I don't want to have a boss. Like, no, you're just probably unemployed. <laughs> Still totally sell farts, though. <laughs> I would totally yeah. sell farts. Anybody <laughs> want to buy Lucrative. Something? What about you guys? Would you consider yourselves entrepreneurs? Do you ever think in terms of that word? Or, um, Well, yeah, one of my course studies in college was about entrepreneurship. Uh, so I guess, yeah, but I don't really have, like, a title to have towards that, I guess. But I don't know. I just kind of do my thing as he does as well, I'm sure. I think, like, as far as, like, being creative, I think it's more synonymous, like, with what we are identify easier with, like, the word independent more than, say, entrepreneur. Yeah, independent's a really good word, I think, for each of you because, you know, like, for example, David, you know, you had this venue um, on the south side of Chicago, like, the near south side, South Loop, and it was this awesome DIY kind of workspace, like, community, you know, and it was under the name Field Trip, and independence a really great, strong word for what you guys were doing. Kind of talk about what you were doing with that, with that space and that, you know, work continues now with the venue or with the label. Um, well, what do, you, what do you want to hear about, like? I don't know. I guess, like, how did you guys operate as an independent venue for so long? Like, how long was Field Trip open? It was only 18 months, but it felt like a lot longer because I think every show was, like, a hit show. There was never, like, a down show. And 18 months, you say only 18 months. 18 months is a long time in this city for an independent DIY underground loft venue. Right. I think we went into it, like, before there was the spot, we already had an idea of what we wanted to do with the space. There was six or seven of us that were, I don't know, I would say pretty creative and pretty driven at the time. So we all like hit our stride right around the same period. And when we got the spot, we decided to open up the venue. We knew what made venues special and what made other ones like basically regular venues. And we knew that in order to compete with these other places, we had to create an environment that stuck out as far as like, I don't know, aesthetically looked different, felt different. and. Also, with the bands that we booked, the shows had to be different as well. So we basically built a huge creative like space, but it also doubled as a art space. So it was an art space, it was a creative space, and it was a venue, and and it was a clubhouse. And it was yeah, it was basically I don't know, it was like the Ninja Turtles, the Foot Soldier place, <laughs> but like for cool kids, for like art school yeah. kids. Basically, it's like Stealing the best way to that. yeah to like describe it, <laughs> and. Awesome. Foot Soldier headquarters, yeah. A lot of us had been like touring and doing shows, so we got to go see a lot of DIY spaces from all over the country. And Chicago was really like missing out on as far as like creating something that like had a feel or had a look or had a vibe and it stuck with it. Most of it was just like basements, lights, and then oh yeah, everyone's on drugs. So we we're like, <laughs> all right, what could we do with our space? So we saw places like Glasslands or 285 Kent, and we're like, we have to make something out of it. So we built this massive paper mache cat head. We had um, a bunch of lights like installed in it and we had Arduino chips and all these codes and programs. So every time bands would play, there'd be this huge organic, like interactive experience with their music and the lights that were being displayed and um, projections. And we also had a big smoking paper mache cat head. It was like 12 feet by 12 feet high. No other place had it. So once one person goes there, they could, you know, they get the experience, they're going to trust that the next show is going to be good. And we are, we're also really smart about 
not oversaturating the shows. We would have one, basically one every month. So we only had like about 12 or 15 shows total, but they were all great. Again, it, it felt like a lot yeah. more. So, you know, each of you guys, you know, with your work, your companies, your brand, your projects, however you want to label it, you guys are all doing unique creative work, um, whether it's promotions, record label, creative carpentry, grilling club. You know, you guys all have these very outside-of-the-box, non-traditional, non-nine-to-five operations. Uh, you know, were there ever times in building these things, or even now, where you guys contemplated, like, this is a ton of work, I'm not getting paid for all the hours I'm putting in. It'd be easy to just walk away from this. It's not easy to walk away from it. No. Never for a second. I, like, I've struggled more. In, I, I, I established Arpentry seven years ago. I've struggled more in the last seven years than I've ever in my entire life, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's, uh, there's something so much more profound when you do something for yourself. When you have a boss and like management above you or any, any type of company that you're, you're contributing your energy to, um, there's always going to be somebody that like, that, that, you know, kind of taps into what you're doing. You know, like you, you please your boss who pleases their boss, who pleases their boss and everything kind of trickles down through this weird little system of like, it just dumbs everything down. And I, I worked for, uh, a major clothing company designing and building out their stores and traveling all over the place and I was around hot girls all the time and things were cool and it was whatever but like none of it was even remotely fulfilling right whereas uh, you know the first contract I got when I started Arpentry and I you know maybe it was like two three hundred bucks that felt like a record deal you know right. like it, it felt like my life was gonna change and I, that that feeling is still real now, and and I think that's when you give it up is when you when you don't feel that way anymore. Because I've I've met people that are kind of in a similar situation where they've created something based on um, kind of everything that they are, mm -hmm. and they deplete that because it becomes just a business. And I think the 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 key to like a successful creative life and a successful like independent and a successful unique thing. Um, it, it, it's passion. You have to be passionate about it. And as soon as, as, soon as it becomes um, a job, it's time for the next thing because your work will suffer and people won't respond the way that they're supposed to. Yeah, I agree, man. And it's interesting you say, you know, you're talking about like the first time you got a contract. I've been doing this podcast now 10 years. And mm -hmm. the first time we got, you know, I was, I was doing it for five, six, seven years before I got any kind of payment in any element of it because I love it and I still love doing it. And that's why we're here tonight. And I'm really thankful everyone's here. But like the first time we got a paid contract to do a live event and a series, it really was. Like it was not the most money in the world, but it was certainly more money than I was making before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I did. I felt like Jay-Z walked in with a contract and yeah. I was like, oh, we made it. We're here. Yeah. And that's, that's really the feeling I think we all kind of chase. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's uh, once, you, once you really taste that, um, you can't really turn back. It's, you know, I liken it to uh, maybe being addicted to some kind of terrible drug. Uh, or a really good drug. Mambecue has cost some. Personally, you know, it, it's it's taken a toll on many relationships. A lot of them have ended because you look back and it's like, well, I I was married to Mambecue and I was cheating on Mambecue with the girls I was dating and it, it, like stuff like that that now seem funny, but at the time it's like this is my passion, this is my drive, and I have to do this. But when you get that contract, you know, for us we were doing catering gigs. You know, we got our first catering gig and these people were like, here make what you want to make. This is what it should inspire you. This is what the theme of the party is. So I got to go back and I talked to my chefs and I'm like, 
So it's like uh, someone's bar mitzvah and they're gluten-free, blah, 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 and you sit there and you're like, cool, you just give us a challenge. So then you create this thing and you get that check. And it's not even about that money. I don't care how much we got paid, but it's like, we just got paid to do something that we geek out about. It's the recognition. Yeah. It's not about the amount of the money. It's about yeah. the fact that somebody recognized your talent and actually quantified it with a, re a reward or a return. Yeah, and it, it was it was awesome because we, we did that for a long time. We started doing these events bigger and bigger, and they all meant so much to me. And then, you know, like you, you kind of played off because it's like, cool, like you, you have to get used to it a little bit, and any kind of adversity that comes your way, you deal with it. And uh, I got to the point where the bigger the event, the more like, I felt we thrived, you know? And again, it's not just me, though. I, I can't just take all the credit. I, I've got great people that help me out. As much of an entrepreneur that I am, there's guys behind me that have full-time jobs, wives and kids that really were a part of, of Mambic and, and me. But um, the more we grew, the better it was. And you kind of calm down. Like these big events come and you just take them and, and you're like totally chill. But the first time I signed a contract, was with, uh, when we signed with our publisher, and my co-author sat there and he took pictures of me because he goes, I've never seen you nervous. <laughs> I sat there, there was a cheesesteak, our publisher is based out of uh, Philadelphia, so they go, what do you guys, whatever you want to drink, whatever you want to eat, we're so happy to have you on the roster. And I was like, we want a cheesesteak and a Coca-Cola. Stupid. And they gave me this <laughs> cheesesteak and they gave me a Coca-Cola and uh, John Carruthers, my co-author, sat there and he made fun of me because my hands started shaking when they gave us the contract. I'd never signed a big contract. I mean, like, that's, that's your life. That's what you work for. All these years uh, of having people make fun of you and say, what is this that you're doing? This is stupid. Girlfriends being like, you were out till what time doing Mambicue? No, we're done. And you sign this contract that says, hey, you're going to be a published author. Most people didn't even know that I could read. They thought I was just going to contribute pictures or something. So it's very, it's very gratifying to do stuff like that. Um, what about the other side of the what about table? The other here? couple. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, were there were there times you guys considered walking away, or you know, where it it seemed like there was an easier path to take, you know, with a more traditional route? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, but like both of them pointed out, it's at that point when you realize that you have to make certain sacrifices in order for that idea to keep flourishing. Obviously, they have personal experiences. I have personal experiences. I don't think I'm super into it, but like I could have taken many jobs that would have put me in like the corporate music world, and I would have been super safe and got a paycheck every two weeks. But yeah, there's some sort of value, no matter if it's not really a financial value, but more of an intrinsic value, which is something that I'm very passionate about, is, is to continue to help grow and push myself. And I think that's what I, I'm driven by. But not only that, really seeing my, my, my people, my, the people that I work with, them growing as well, because when it comes to this music business stuff, like, we all love music, but the business side, there's not really a, a handbook for it. So we all make terrible, terrible, terrible financial mistakes. <laughs> really, that's what it comes down to, financial mistakes. But we all have like just kind of come to like understand that with those mistakes, we've really been able to learn so much about the company, working as a team, and most importantly, like I said, like ourselves, which is very, very important. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I agree with Ricky. <laughs> Have you ever made financial mistakes? Never. Never. I am a businessman. We're billionaires. <laughs> I'm broke uh, right now. That's an entrepreneur <laughs> trait, being a savvy businessman and never losing any money. Yeah. So we kind of circled this idea just in the discussion we just got into, but what have been some of the, the, the biggest perks, the biggest advantages, the biggest surprises, you know, good surprises, not like cops showing up at your door at 3 a.m., but, <laughs> but, you know, like the good surprise. Let's start on the, the other half of the table here. What have been some of the, the best pleasant surprises or perks of doing your own operation, your own company, your own brand? For me, at least, it's just uh, I like being in total control of everything I do. So... I try to not outsource anything if I could do it. And I'll find out, like, usually I'll start off with Google. Like, can I do this? You know, whether it's like, can I code this website? Or can I print my own shirts? Or can I edit my own videos? I'll just go to Google. Like, how do I do that? And I think now with the internet and all that, just being able to get everything done yourself, like, immediately, I think that's, like, a really awesome, like, just being alive right now, if you're deciding to do things yourself. Then outside of just, like, doing it yourself and, like, having that satisfaction, like just your reach, I think, like meeting all your peers and then getting to either work with them or at least be acknowledged like your existence, like, oh, I know your music or I know your label's music or I know your art, like that's really cool. And then traveling, I think, is really cool, just being like, hey, let me invite you to this city so you could show whatever the hell it is that you're doing or like the bands that you're working with. So I think just like just slowly just watching your growth from you being like in your bedroom deciding to either make music or make art and then having it grow as far as like just the other day like dubbing tapes in my bedroom to mail out to like LA or New York or wherever it is going like hey someone from those cities give a shit about an artist that's on my label that made this record in his bedroom like just that watching that like growth from an idea like spur into that yeah right no, absolutely All right. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's basically the same for me. Just really, yeah. I mean, we're very should just join forces. I did not realize we were like we were putting teams uh, up here. I really didn't. We should probably split this up. Yeah. Um, but definitely, definitely seeing like because when we throw events, it's usually us hitting up as promoters the agents for these artists or the managers. Um, and at the beginning, especially, it was super tough because nobody knew who we were. We were just a bunch of like post-college kids starting to throw shows. So it was really difficult to get our like grasp in the, in the music community. But now doing this for over a year and a half, the agents are coming to us finally. And that's kind of just a great feeling because we get to say no um, or just put things in our own terms, which is giving them way less money than they actually should be getting. That's what it comes down to. Isn't it awesome to be able to say no? Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's, I, I no. Think it's been like... No. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, See you just said did. it, man. Boom. It was awesome, too. But I mean, that, that was, I remember back in the day, people were like, we want to feed 500 people, but we've got $20 as a budget. And we'd be like, yes. <laughs> we're gonna do it, and we and it was just like hours and hours, and now we're like to a point where we're like, no, dude, this is stupid. It doesn't make sense. And they're like, ah, oh, well, what if we cut this and cut that? And we're like, no, then that's a shit event. Right. Like you're feeding like you're feeding your guests pig ears. Do you want to do that? And they're like, does it fit within the budget? So that, there's something very empowering about being able to say no. Like we don't have to do that anymore. We don't. Now we get to pick and choose what events. 
I don't mean to sound like a snob, but like you get to pick and choose what events fit your brand the most. And in the beginning, it wasn't like that. In the beginning, you're like, you're taking Jimmy's little five-year-old party and you have to like feed people in a bounce house. That sucks. Now it's like, these people have big budgets and they're like, all right, uh, we came up with this idea. Can you make food for this? And we can do it. And they don't, they'll pay you once the work is done. They'll pay you before the work is done, which in the beginning was like, wait, you've got, you actually have money, you can pay me? Whoa, that's amazing. So that, that's, that's very, uh, that's a very satisfying feeling. I think, I think for me, um, a, lot, a lot of what I do revolves a lot around collaborating with people that I care about. Um, and I, I think the most gratifying thing so far has been that just by working and doing exactly what I love to do and, and working as hard as I know how to, I've been able to benefit people that I care about with, without really having to extend myself too far. Um, like the the brand that I've built and, and the, the the space and the the you know the reputation and whatever is is now affecting people um, within my circle in a positive way, and it's it's really kind of amazing to see that you know like to 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 have tangible things that we can hold and and see and and like affect people that are doing awesome things too you know like there's. There's and there's a great amount of, of uh, you know validation in like being able to turn down the people that that turned you down before or you know like getting hit up by major companies and being like yeah I don't really want to do that <laughs> um, but and then also like at the same time like I, I do a lot of work with uh, with Red Bull yes. um, they I gotta be real they're like changing my life they. They trust me so much in my concepts and designs and ideas and, and art and whatever I do that they're to the point now where they, they hit me up and they say, hey, we have this the thing we want to do. What would you do for it? Yeah. And I get to take my friends and we build a big weird thing and then we put it somewhere and go have fun. And it's ridiculous that this is all based off of like, you know, trying to get by, you know, like just trying to do what I love and what I care about to make money has turned into something that is now successful to the point where the people I care about benefit from it, the people that I, you know, like, that I want to work with, I can. Um, you know, it's it just, it's really obnoxious thing to think that you can succeed at the thing that I'm doing right now, I think. It's, it's quite ridiculous, but um, it's working, and the people that are behind it are benefiting just as much as I am, and I think that's probably the most gratifying thing. Yeah. You literally just annotated Drake, started from the bottom, now we're here. Yo. The whole time you were saying that, I was like, you're literally describing. I'm like, on we some rappers there? pay my bills shit. <laughs> I legitimately just built French Montana's stage set. Dude, I know you're telling me that. And he pays that's, my bills now. That's so sick. <laughs> so we're going to do a couple, two or three more questions, and I want to open it up because we have an awesome audience that came out and braved the snow and the nasty weather tonight. So let's fly through these last couple questions, and then we'll open it up to everyone who is awesome enough to be here in this super plush room at the Public Hotel. So kind of hitting the, the lightning round here at the end, uh, you know, how do you guys determine the creative culture of your companies, of your brands and projects? Because everything you guys do does have a very distinctive aesthetic, approach, product, presence, visual, or, you know, other sense, other sense um, element, you know, like with Mambique, the taste. 
But everything you guys do is very distinctively them flavors or field trip or mambicu or arpentry. How did you guys develop that tone and aesthetic and all that? It really Life. takes time. Yeah, you, you can't like, if you go into it over planned, it's, it's never gonna work out how you think it's going to. Thank you, Dee. Dee's one of our brewers, she's amazing. Um, but uh, really like- My it, brewer. <laughs> he's his personal brewer. It's, uh, it's trial and error. I mean, you, you kinda, when we started what we were doing, like I said, it, it's funny, but it was an idea at 2 a.m. and it just kinda grew and then you start building these parameters in your head that become actual parameters and you start fitting things within those parameters, you know? It, but if you like start off going, we're gonna do this, 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 and this, it doesn't work out that way, it never does. Nothing, you know, nothing you plan out is gonna work out the way you plan it out in, in, in ventures like this. I guess, I guess for, for me, it, it, there's like three, three goals I shoot for. There's like uh, my, my aesthetic and my brand identity, all these things are just based on taste, you know, and like there's, there's three kind of questions I usually ask myself. And it's usually like, you know, would the kid version of me be stoked on this? Like, we'll be like, yo, bro, look what I made. And be like, what? Like, that'd be, that's what I want my, like, 10-year-old version that's of That's a me. really, not to interrupt, that's, that's a really important element. Right. Yeah. It is. It, it is. is. I, and, and yeah. you know, like, and then the, the next one is, can I impress girls with this? <laughs> that's so real, though. I'm sorry. That's the works. most important but, element. <laughs> um, and then the other one is, you know, like, it's just like, it's, you, you make friends by what you, you're into and what your tastes are and whatever. So like I, I kind of stopped trying to please other people and, and just looked inward and like I do all the things that I think are awesome and maybe some people out there will agree with me and we can be friends and they'll celebrate it as well. And, that, and that's really it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, blue team. <laughs> uh, you know, how do we develop, you know, the aesthetic, the approach, the visual, everything that makes them flavors and field trip them flavors and field trip. Well, speaking for David and myself, because I'm sure he's going to say the same thing. Collectively. Um, looking at it from somewhat of a business standpoint is the businesses that do really well in the, in the environment, the overall business environment, are the ones that have really good market research and see like which, which companies are doing the same thing and then they try to get out of that circle and try to find their own niche and go with that. And so like for them flavors, there wasn't really any crew bringing the type of music that we really, really dig or have the aesthetic that we were going for. So it's kind of like looking at what the big boys are doing, which are like the big companies like React or Silver Rapper or Live Nation, and they all have this really bland, boring kind of aesthetic to them. No offense to them, I love them all, but still like, it's like kind of giving it more of a dynamic look to it so that you can kind of have your your audience engage with it more. And that's kind of what our aim was, is just off the bat, be this company that's more engaging with the community and, and really connect to it rather than just sell them this other artist or this artist that's just gonna play like the next artist the week afterwards at The Mid or Concord or any other of those kind of clubs. But yeah, so I mean, that's really where I'm at, so. What was that question again? I was were you, what were we talking about? So, you know, just how do you, like, you know, with Field Trip, it's a very distinctive look. You've got All the right. cat, you know, with the, with the lasers, like, you know, the, the blog, everything you guys do. How do you develop that tone? You know, how to develop the, everything that is Field Trip so that people right. know that it's Field Trip? For us, it just, it just happened, like, super organically, I think. We all had, like, similar tastes, and 
we it's really a blur how like our aesthetic <laughs> developed because we were all like out of our minds during the time but we built a cat head i remember that and then everything just started to be printed like with that like on our shirts and on our stickers and on our label and that just became synonymous with us and then i think once like you develop enough of a following or a product or whatever kind of like shepherd fairy like obey or whatever like right. I mean, you could make anything and it'll become like your symbol. So like, yeah, we have a smoking cat head. It's kind of stupid looking back <laughs> at it now. But now whenever people see it, they're like, oh, yeah, that's field trip. I think it's badass. Yeah. I've always thought that that cat head is awesome. Um, so we got two more questions. I want, let, let's just fly through these. We can, again, open it up. We've got a mic here. We'll take questions from the audience. Um, closing this out, though, on my end, uh, you know, you guys, and, and again, these, this is something we've kind of touched on throughout the, the discussion, you guys have brands and projects and work and art that people are excited about. All, all four of you uniquely are creating things that people are passionate about, people are invested in, people are engaged in, people care about Field Trip and them flavors and Man Bikue and Arpentry. How do you do that? How do you build that? How do you get people to care? Because I know there's a lot of people who, you know, and I know we've got some students from Columbia in here who maybe are starting out on their path, you know, they have an idea or they might start to have a presence. How do you get people into it? You care about it yourself. That's it. You just, you know, like it, it shows through. If you care about what you're doing, it translates always. Yeah. Even if a waiter comes up to you and is really stoked on the meal you're serving, you're going to enjoy it more. Yeah, absolutely. On every level. Um, I would say definitely that. You also have to have your, your agents of change and innovation and growth, and those are your, your, your people in the spider web that are going to continue to allow that little node to keep growing in the spider web. So we, for example, in our label, we release with people in Montreal and Europe and Russia and all these different places because that allows us to spread the name just that further because those people are our little nodes, our little agents. So really, I think that's a very important element on top of having the passion yourself. Absolutely. Passion, I think, is the, the most critical thing. We've got chapters. We start off in Chicago. We've got three chapters in the Chicagoland area. Uh, we've got a couple in Canada, Costa Rica, and Germany. And it's the thing is, again, like if you're transparent and you show people like, hey, man, I'm just a dude that likes to grill and drink beer and listen to loud music, and people are like, what's the agenda? And you're like, no, this is it. Yeah, that they, is the agenda. They can relate to that. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's simple. You lay it out, and you're like, I'm not trying to make money off of those guys at all. And they know it. I'm like, you want to make money selling shirts for your chapter? Go ahead, do it. Right. Like, I, I've got a job. We can do our own thing. But what it comes down to, man, is this. It's a collective of all these grillers, these craft beer drinkers, and these music lovers. And that's it. Very simple. But again, like you said, to his point, you have to have the passion. You know, like what you guys, what you said too. If if it's insincere, it's not going to work. Yeah. All right, David. Yeah, I think if you just like if you're doing something and you're like <laughs> really passionate about it and unapologetic about it and like don't give a fuck about what you're doing and just say <laughs> like this is what it is and that's that. Like, there's going to be a market for it no matter what. And like I've dug through so many labels like from across the world and there's there's somebody following them, like no matter how bad and shitty I think that music is, <laughs> someone else thinks it's cool. And sometimes I think that about like my label and the bands that we sign or the music I make, I'm like, is this bad? And then I'm like, no, people <laughs> like like this. Like there's people who wanna listen to this shit and they go to our shows and they buy all our stuff. 
And it's like one of those things, like, people say, like, do you like metal? And one of my friends used to always say, like, uh, I didn't find metal, metal found me. And I think some people feel that, like, real passionately about, like, the stuff that we make. And I feel that about a lot of products and groups and different other um, labels, music, bands, artists. So I feel like if you do something passionately and it's and you really like push it and people see that, like they're gonna feel the same way about whatever it is that you're doing too. But at the same time, I think people have to be like really like realistic about what they're doing and what they're making. Like when I look at Field Trip and I'm thinking about what it is, like I don't get jaded about the fact that I'm not making a million fucking dollars or something. And I keep running into people who are like trying to do what I'm, what I'm doing and they feel jaded that like a bunch of people aren't listening to their music or people aren't buying their shirts or their fucking art or whatever it is. And I think like it's just one of those, yeah, it's like one of those things where you know where you're at and you're doing it because you want to do it. And I think you should gauge your success based on where you came from and where you're going. But I think because of the internet, people get jaded so easily, so fast, because they don't know everyone's backstory. Yeah. Everybody's too entitled. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Um, final question, then we're going to open it up to anyone in the audience who would like to participate. Um, so let's fly through this one. Obviously, you guys are sitting up here. You've all been successful in your realms. You've all had all these accomplishments and, and highlights and, and you know great things that you can stand behind and point to that you've built yourselves uh you know so what what would you say to anybody who is you know who's listening to this later who's in the room right now anything like that who maybe is on the cusp of wanting to launch their own product their own brand their own company but they just haven't taken that plunge yet you know anybody who who wants to but they're just not there don't do it it's too hard come work for us instead <laughs> just kidding <laughs> don't listen to me <laughs> i say don't just do it like, I think getting reps in and doing whatever it is that you want to do just to fucking do it is just to do it. Like, get it out of the way and, and fucking do it. I think that's the best thing to do is just to do it. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's all about steps. Like, you can't... Um, I think people get discouraged when they, they, they don't see immediate success or immediate comfort. And, uh, you know, you just got to chip away at it. Like, there's, there's miles and miles between you and where you want to go. And it... It really just takes doing it, you know, yeah. like, and that's the difference between um, a lot of people who, who will just work for somebody else and the people that will do for themselves. And it's like, you know, like, there have been weeks that I've, I've pulled three overnights and worked 20-hour days and, and felt like hell at the end of it, but, like, it got me closer to where I wanted to go. And, I, you know, we still do that, like, uh, I, pretty much seven days a week still, and I'm seven years in. Um, just work. Yeah. If you if you want something, get it. There's not there's nothing between you and that except for yourself. That's it. You have to be willing to take those chances and uh, and, and put in the time. Um, you know, and and again, like it, not only that, like you can't go into things blindly. Like do your research. Uh, one of the, the best things I ever learned from a, one of the biggest assholes I ever met was look online, and if it's if there's a hole, you plug it. So it doesn't matter how much time you have to put into it how many resources you have to use, you fucking do it. A few years ago, I made a Stanley Cup, made out, a replica made out of meat. And I- It's true. It it's was, that. it sounds terrible, but it, it went viral and it was huge. It was huge for my brand. And that was part of the reason that we got our book deal. I mean, it really strengthened what we were doing. But again, it's like, it's taking those chances. If it was 10 years ago, I would've been like, why the fuck would I make a statue out of meat? But now I'm like, yeah, I'll fucking do it. I've, I've done, 
a bunch of different trophies out of meat because people want that. It's weird, but people want it. But you have give to give us the, your meat trophies. You have to have the guts to like just fucking do it. Just just move forward and do it. If I sat there and was like, I don't know if anybody's gonna like this, it would have never worked. And my team would have never rallied behind me. When we got the offer, it was like, hey, can you build a 30-pound Stanley Cup replica out of meat? I'm like, yeah, cool. When do you need it by? I'll get my team together. Give me some time. They go, okay, you need it by 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. And I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'm going to do it. And we did it. And you know what? Now we're in the Hall of Fame, the NHL <laughs> Hall of Fame. So, yeah, you do it. You take opportunities and you make it fucking happen. If you're not willing to make it happen, then stay home and, I don't know, keep on paying too much for school. Look and, us up online. Yeah. yeah. We've got some part-time <laughs> openings. Like our photos. <laughs> Sweet. Did we hear from everyone? or? I think you just got to do it. Um, if it's not been clear already, I'm going to say it again. Just do it. Are you guys sponsored by Nike? Just, just curious. No. Do it, baby. Um, do it. There's, there's this great expression I, um, I'm about to make up. If you like vanilla ice cream, I'm sorry, if you like vanilla cake, cool. If that guy likes chocolate cake, cool. We'll make marble cake. Just do it. There you go. <laughs> I dig it. All right. So we are about to open it up to the floor. So if anybody would like to come up to the microphone here, ask any questions of any of our panelists, just FYI, you'll be on the recording which is going to post online, so I want everyone to be aware of that, that you will be posted online if you're on the mic. If you don't want to be on the mic, but you'd still like to ask a question, you can shout it out, and I'll repeat it into the microphone here. So, but yeah, if anyone would like to jump up and ask a question. Paris Hilton was never shy, and she's a celebrity, so get up there. Come sure. on. Come on, people. The mic's too short for I have for a him. question for Floyd. You're like a very independent, creative person. How do you balance that with working with these major corporations that you do installations and art projects for? You know, I often ask myself that same question. I, like, I still don't understand how I'm, I'm, I'm like working with companies that, you know, are at the level they are being an independent, like I'm a guy that makes stuff. Like I make art, I built an eight foot tall middle finger like a month ago. That's a real <laughs> thing I do. Um, That's but, ridiculous. You know, it, it, the thing is, it's 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 about it's it's you know like it's broken record, but it's about passion. Like these, they, they when I get a contract from anyone, I'm enthusiastic. You know, like these people are are helping me continue to live exactly the way I want to live, and I appreciate that fully. And I'm I'm very aware of kind of how good I have it right now and how how well everything's working. And I I I try to make sure I take that in constantly. Um, and I like, I'm, I'm a sloppy businessman. I'm the first person to say it. I, I'm a creative through and through. I live in a tent in my studio. That is a real thing. <laughs> um, but um, I, I'm just honest, you know. Like I, when I walk into the office and I'm talking to somebody that makes several hundred thousand dollars, and they're gonna pay me a little pinch of that to make them some goofy thing to put in front of some goofy people. I tell them how much it means to me, you know, and like I, I, I work hard and I get it done and I give them something that they've never seen before. And, and I think it's just, uh, you know, you kind of got to, for a while I thought I was bullshitting everybody, but I, I found out recently that I kind of have something and uh, I just kind of keep on tapping into that and try to try to give people new things and, and get them as excited about the work that I'm giving them as I am to do the work. And I think that's how you maintain those professional relationships, being a completely unprofessional person. 
Uh, who else? I know we've got a lot of Columbia students in here. It would be awesome to have them ask questions of these successful uh, entrepreneurs in here, or DIY innovators, or not just Columbia students. Pop on up to the mic. Get up here, Skrillex. <laughs> it's the hair and the glasses. Come on. Roasted. I'm old, man. I'm old. I just want all you guys to know that I have hair on both sides of my head. Oh, come on. Damn so, it. So, yeah. I'll zing you right back. Uh, do you guys ever feel like you sold out? It's a good question. Never. Never. Yeah. Do you ever feel like you compromised your DIY ethics? Yeah. In one way or another. When you're talking with like these certain agencies where you kind of have to sacrifice a little bit of your creative integrity to realize that in, in order to continue going, you gotta, you gotta sell out in one way or another. I, mean, I, I was just straight up putting stickers on your fucking tape and folding your J cards for tapes that we're going to mail out, so no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it depends on what, what, what do you consider selling out. I mean, really, like... I think that I never do anything I don't want to do. I, yeah, yeah. Like, when, when you have big clients, that, that's going to, like, they're going to come up to you, and like you said, to your point earlier, they come up to you and they trust you, and they're kind of like, hey do this for us, and they let you do what you want to do. It's like the same thing with food. They come up to me and say, hey, we've got to feed 500 people. Here's a theme. Come up with whatever you want. Come up with a menu. And that's not selling out. That's being smart and being like, yeah, you know, like the ball's in my court. I'm going to make what I want to make, and you're going to eat it. That's not, I mean... Okay. I think selling out was so much a concept in the 90s. Yeah. Such a 90s, yeah. And then, like, now... Fuck you, Kurt Cobain. Now it, it's this thing where, like... If you have your own brand and you're partnering with like you know larger operations, or you're getting your work in front of people, or you're getting sponsored or getting featured by something, now that's not selling it out. Now it's like, holy shit, dude, how do you do that? Like, can you can you show me how to do it? Now, that's like, you're that's infiltrating. It is infiltrating from within. <laughs> We've it's won. That's what, what Rage was supposed to do, but yeah, didn't. Yeah. Um, awesome. So let's get one or two more questions from anyone in the audience who would like to. Again, yes. I love that one of my students is coming up to ask a question and is also an entrepreneur in her own right. So give your name. Hey, my name's Asha. I talked to you online inadvertently today. <laughs> yes. Cool. We did. Um, so I have a question about uh, deciding what your prices are going to be. Um, I sometimes feel like when I'm saying a service that I do, it, I, I kind of feel like I'm putting a worth on like my head, like kind of a worth on my person with uh, monetary value. And it, it's, a, it's kind of a weird conversation I have in my head when I'm uh, deciding how much I'm going to charge somebody. So beyond like, okay, how long is this going to take and, you know, all the labor or whatever, how do you guys decide how much someone should pay you for what they're asking for? And what's like the mental conversation that you guys have with yourself? Always be fair to yourself. Uh, everything you do, any kind of work you do is time. Your, your time is worth money. And, you know, I'll go back to the, the catering thing. Like back in the day, we would we'd get this shitty number, like this is our budget. And we would make it work, but you don't have to. Like what we were doing was, you know, we weren't just buying a bunch of crappy ground beef from somewhere. We were buying pieces of meat, grinding in ourselves, like that takes time. And that's, you can put a premium on that. You know, all the research you do, whatever you do, you're putting time into it. And that's worth a lot more than just, you know, spitting stuff out and hiring other people to do the work that you should be doing. 
I would seek advice from people that you th think are doing a similar thing to you. You know, like uh, if, if somebody's like a little further along or like you see somebody doing something similar to like where you'd want to be, ask them. They'll probably tell you some bullshit and then double what they say. <laughs> uh, I, I'm at the point now where I, I make up numbers and people pay it. Um, you can get there. Uh, you just have to. You just have to not like waver. No, don't don't let them know you're bluffing. Nope. Don't let them know that you would happily do it for a quarter of the price you're asking. Yeah, never say like, oh, dude, I would do that for free. I want to buy a yacht someday. Yeah. <laughs> Charge people. You're valuable. Yeah. You can say there was one saying that that I met a this cater is big dude, and he was like, oh, you tell people like, I would have done that for five bucks, and they come back to you and say, well, I would have paid ten. So like there's a game, but you just have to be smart, not just take the middle ground, but say, you know what, my time and my energy is worth this much. And do your research. I mean, don't just say, this is worth $50 million and everybody else is doing it for like $5,000, because then it's like, all right, good night. And then your vision will never be seen. Be realistic, but also you're worth it. I mean, get out there, put a number out there and make them match it, you know, or, or get there as close as they can. And the thing is, if you if you shoot high, they'll always come back at you like a little bit lower. And and I've always found like spe specifically early early in my career, I found that they always came back with a little more money than I would have asked for originally. <laughs> yeah. I like I had an art teacher tell me once. He's like, you know, how much how much how much would you part with that piece for? And I'm like, I don't know, like four hundred bucks. He's like, and it's worth eight. And that's that's what we did, and and they sold. Yeah, yeah. And that makes you way happier. Label guys. I charge uh, $6.66 for all of our products. And we, we've been sticking with that for the past two years. Well, just ask Satan. Yeah. <laughs> Natas. All right. <laughs> any, other, uh, any other questions from the audience tonight for our esteemed panelists? We got one over here. All right. Jumping over the couch. Feel free to give your all name. Right, so, yeah, my name's Nick. Hey, Nick. Get hey, a little so, bit closer uh, to the... My name's Nick. Seems like uh, most of you guys have involved your friends in your business. So my question is, like, what happens when your friends don't share exactly the same passions? And when you do, like, get them in on projects, how do you pay them when you're starting out? If they don't, I'm going to jump in here. If they don't share your vision and they're your friends, keep them as your friends and then get new friends that are going to help you with your get work. Get better friends. Don't I, have, I have three awesome Columbia students who are helping me with this panel tonight and who have been helping me produce it and they've been killing it and I've had I've been doing this podcast now for 10 years I know you're asking them so I'm not going to jump in too long I've been doing this for 10 years though I've had a lot of people help me over the years and some people worked really well some people didn't some people worked well in the beginning and then it's you know they changed they are as people so it's always refreshing you know what I mean it's like the cast of skins if anybody gets that reference like every every two years I'm rebooting it um, doing the new 52 so right now I've got three relatively new additions to my team, and they're all kicking ass, and then, you know, they're gonna probably go on and do other stuff with their lives in two or three years or three weeks or whatever it is, so I'll have to keep rebooting and bringing new people in, but working with your friends can be awesome, but it can also be really difficult because it, it changes the dynamic and it places an enormous amount more pressure, and it's tempting because you know your friends well, so you know what they're into and what they're capable of. They know all about what you're doing. So you're like, oh, this is a good fit because these people get what I'm doing. But the downside can be that it can be very difficult to navigate either immediately or down the line. That's my answer. So you guys go ahead. For, 
there, there's a dude sitting in this room right here that was the first person I told that I was quitting my job and starting a brand. He quit his job and helped, slept on my couch and helped me build this thing. Uh, uh, that dude right there, Clinton Sandifer, show you suck, um, famous rapper. Uh, so, but, so I'm a, I'm a carpenter, designer, artist. I do a bunch of goofy stuff. He had no idea of that world, but he understands me and was there to support. And I, I think that, that that actual, like that belief in what you're going to do and that like, uh, that kind of like, that, that, just the, the, the reassurance of, you know, there's this, this person that you already care about, your, your good friends and whatever, but they're going to get behind it and risk them, their own, you know, security and comfort for your vision. That's all you really need. And those are the kind of friends that you keep around. You know, like those are the kind of friends that will push you further. And just this last weekend, like, you know, we were able to knock out a stage set for him in one day that he we put up at the Metro and people dumbed out about it. And then we went home and woke up the next day and went and cut a bunch of wood up. You know, like it's it's not really about skill sets. It's not about, um, you know, like it can put strain on friendships and stuff. Sure. But ultimately, it's about support. Yeah, find people who will support you. Our, we, you know, for our first book, it was uh, myself and another author, and our second book that we're, I've got till July 15th to finish. We're doing 200 recipes, and we brought on another author who was one of my best friends, and you know, he came up to me and said, I really want to be involved in the next book, because he's helped me a lot on social media and marketing for Mambicue, and I said, you know what, I wanted to bring him on. I talked to our publisher, my agent was, was kind of reluctant, you know, because Shorty was covering me and my, my first co-author, and I said, no, we need to bring him on. And he approached me about a month ago, his, and he told me his, his wife didn't believe what he was doing, his mom didn't give a shit, his stepdad didn't care that he was writing a book, and it was kind of one of those things where you're like, I have to sit there and, and say, I want you here because I know your value, but I also don't want to break up your home. I don't want you to, he just had another kid, and I'm like, this is, you have to really think about what you want to do. And that's where, like, as a friend and a business partner, you kind of have to sit there and be like, well, what do I do? Selfishly and business partner-wise, I want to bring them on and say, I can use your input. It'd be great. But as, as a close friend, as one of my best friends, I'm like, it comes down to family first. You got to figure out what you want to do. And you don't want to be cold like that, but you have to, you know, a book like this, I know how it, what it takes to, to write a book. I've done it, and it's, it's a lot of stress. And if you don't have that support group behind you, it can fuck things up really bad. Like, it, it, it's fucked up a relationship of mine. My first co-author almost got divorced. So, I mean, you have to put it out there. And it's like, do you want to put your friends through that? And if they're willing to sit there by you and say, hey, I believe in what you're doing, and I want to do this, then bring them on. But if they have any doubts in their head, just say, you know what? We're better off being friends. Just support me and we're good. Keep them in the friend zone. Yeah. Friend zone <laughs> your friends. Friend zone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, especially with the music uh, portion of our, our side, it's like we, all of our friends are obviously into like what we listen to. So things kind of are on an even keel. Yes, actually about like how you pay it's, I don't know, like, we don't pay anybody in our career yet because, like, we're so young and we don't make any money off of shows if anyone's just losing it. But there's other ways to pay them, like, if you, get, if you catch my drift. Um, 
And um, explain. Not that. <laughs> um, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That middle one. Maybe I'm just kidding. No. Uh, anyways, I don't know. Uh, that's it. Okay. I think when you're working with your friends, sometimes it can get like kind of crazy. But I think if you're at like a hobbyist level, and then you move on to that level where you take it really seriously, the friends that want to work like those 15 hours a day or 50 hours a week, they'll stick around and the rest of them would fade away. And then it kind of like weans itself out. And then the people who want to be there and work with you will. And But like even now, like to this day, like the people who are still there who put in all the hours with me, like we get into like yelling matches for sure. I've made them all cry. They've made me cry. We've gotten into a fist fight a few times. That's when you all know it's way, real yeah. is when the crying comes in. Yeah, for sure. That's too real. So, I mean, like, yeah, you're going to hurt someone's feelings, and you might not talk to someone for a few weeks or something. But when you have a goal in mind, like, that's basically what, what it comes down to. It's like, it's like a sports team, like, trying to get to a championship. Like, you see the vision, and all of you want to get there. You just might not agree on how you're going to get there. And you're, gonna, you're definitely going to fight and, and yell at each other, but... It's good to know that they're that passionate about it. Like, if they're there yelling with you, then that's a good thing, I think. At least that's how I feel about it. I don't know. I think that's a really good place to cut it, man. We, we covered a lot of grounds tonight, and this has been awesome. Um, this has been the Cultivating Your Creative Culture live industry panel. Thank you so much, Floyd A. Davis IV, Jesse Valenciana, um, Ricky Serrano, David Beltram. Thank you guys so much for being here. Let's give it up for all thank of our you, panelists. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Love y'all. Um, couple things. I want to thank my producers here on site, Audrey Sutherland, um, Prove Krivishay. Yes, I didn't want to mispronounce your name. Ingrid Legends, uh, thank you guys for helping us produce this event. And very special thanks to Laura Medica. Um, Laura, I think I'm pronouncing her last name. I hope I am. Laura Medica um, and the entire public hotel staff for hosting us here tonight because this venue, if you're not here, if you're listening to this like later, this is like the plushest rec room venue that I've ever done a podcast in. I'm going to take a nap on that couch. I know, man. This is incredible. It's all couches and blankets and and pillows and and carpet. Uh, My name is Haima Black with Dynasty Podcasts. We'll have this panel up as an audio podcast for you to be able to listen to later on in the next few weeks at DynastyPodcast.com. Thank you guys, everyone, for coming out. Thank you guys. Awesome. This has been the Dynasty Podcast Panelcast Series. You can find more live podcasts and panels at DynastyPodcast.com. For the Dynamic Dynasty, my name is Haima Black. Dynasty Descend.